Welcome back, everyone, to the Plagueis Pages podcast, a podcast where life-changing books are discussed and reading advice is given. I am your host, as always, Derek Plagueis. For our episode today, we are going to be looking at the book, The Toxic War on Masculinity, How Christianity Reconciles the Sexes by Nancy Piercy. Nancy Piercy is a best-selling author and speaker. She most recently wrote the book, Love Thy Body, which addresses common questions addressing sexuality. And currently, Nancy is a professor and scholar in residence at Houston Christian University. This is the first book that I have read by Nancy Piercy, and to say the least, she did not disappoint. I found this book to be enlightening about how we have gotten to the place where we are in society in regard to masculinity, and also the path going forward to address the, quote, toxic war toward it. In this episode, I'm going to give you my two big takeaways from the book, and hopefully this will be both informative and prompt you to check out this book yourself. Masculinity is seen as one of the major problems of today. The narrative is that men are not needed, men are seen as the problem, or they need to get out of the way so that females can take the reins of leadership for a better world. You know, I can give a perfect example of this type of thinking through a popular artist named the Avid Brothers. Some of the lyrics to their song, New Woman's World, goes like this, and I quote, It used to be a man's world, but we didn't treat it right. It used to be a man's world, but all we did was fight. I'm glad it's finally in the hands of the women and the girls. I can't wait to see what they do with what's left of the world, end quote. Now, there's definitely some truth to the fact that some men throughout history have done more harm than good. There's no debating that, and I'm not trying to excuse that by any means. But as you hear within the lyrics, it is now considered a woman's world. And it's not just this band who is claiming the future is female, but many others, whether celebrities or politicians. And in this shift of empowerment, the narrative toward men has become, as Nancy Piercy would describe it, toxic. And she gives some examples of this toxicity in her book. For example, the Washington Post ran an article titled, Why Can't We Hate All Men? Or at one point, a hashtag kill all men was at one point trending. There was a time where apparently t-shirts were available for purchase saying so many men, so little ammunition. And also books that have been published entitled, I Hate Men, or The End of Men, and Are Men Necessary? Now some might say this is just a joke, people don't actually mean this, but I really don't believe that to be the case. And I must say, I'm not shocked by this type of rhetoric in society, as oftentimes men, especially white and straight men, are seen as the oppressors that must be overthrown. Now, before I go any further, I do want to establish a couple of things to make sure you as a listener know my motive and heart in doing this podcast on such a book. First, I am not doing this episode to say poor me and that I and other men are so oppressed. Second, I am not dismissing any wrongful acts that have been committed by men. I am deeply troubled by certain statistics and stories of how men are treating women. I in no way want to excuse such sinful behaviors. But then third, I believe the Bible offers a better path to moving forward and how to address the topic of masculinity. The answer to toxic masculinity or to the toxic war on masculinity is not found through societal theories, but is found in the word of God. So now that all that is established, let me give you two big takeaways from this book. First, adherence to the Bible is not the problem. You know, much of society views commitment to the scriptures as being one of the major contributors to toxic masculinity. The reason for this thinking is that the Bible lays out very clearly the distinct roles of the husband and wife within marriage. The Bible says in Ephesians 5, 22-25, and I quote, 
Wives, submit to your own husbands, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. End quote. You know, passages such as this and others within the scriptures affirm that the husband is the head of the household. The man, therefore, is to lead and to sacrificially love his wife as Christ loved the church, in which he died for it. The woman, then, is to be like the church and then submit to her husband as the leader. Now, such a belief cuts right against the grain of culture. If you claim to the secular culture that men are called to lead the family, then you will be labeled very quickly misogynistic. They will claim that such a belief then leads to the oppression and abuse toward women. Nancy Piercy, though, points out that statistically speaking, this is not the case. In fact, men who are committed followers of Jesus Christ and are active in the local church are often thriving in relation with their wives and children compared to other demographics. Specifically speaking, men who are committed to following Christ have one of the lowest divorce and violence rates, spend more time intentionally investing in their wives and children, have reports of greater sexual satisfaction by both husband and wife, and are less likely to be unfaithful, and also overall have happier marriages. Now with all this, Piercy provides a number of studies conducted to back up such claims. All of this, though, might be a little shocking to believe, right? I mean, Hollywood, media, personal experience might be pushing back to grasp such claims. I know for me, I had a hard time believing some of this. I've heard most of my life that statistically, Christians are often the same when it comes to divorce and violence as the rest of the world. So what gives? Well, Piercy addresses this by expounding upon the difference between those who are committed to the faith compared to those that would be known as nominal. Nominal is a term used in which someone claims something, but yet does not actually practice or believe in it. So a nominal Christian is someone who just claims to be a Christian by word only. They might, in fact, not be a Christian at all. When you separate the two, the committed and the nominal, the differences are very shocking. And Piercy says this, and I quote, Studies find that nominal Christian family men do fit the negative stereotypes, and shockingly so. They spend less time with their children, their wives report significantly lower levels of happiness, and their marriages are far less stable. Whereas active evangelical men are 35% less likely to divorce than secular men, nominals are 20% more likely to divorce than secular men. The real stunner, whereas committed church-going couples report the lowest rate of violence of any group, nominals report the highest rates of any group, even higher than secular people. End quote. This was very eye-opening to me. I mean, you really have two extremes at play here. On one side, you have committed Christians who are thriving in marriage and family. And on the other side, you have nominal Christians who are severely struggling. Right? So what gives? Why is this the case that nominals are on the opposite extreme? Well, I agree with Piercy as she concludes that nominal Christians misuse and wrongly misinterpret passages of the Bible to justify their abusive behavior. They will use biblical terms and concepts like headship and submission to their selfish advantage. And when these passages are wrongly interpreted, they can breed harmful results. It is unfortunate, but nominal Christianity is attributed to much of the view of Christianity within the culture. And I can understand to an extent why the culture views the biblical roles of husbands and wives as oppressive. 
But as already noted, proper interpretation and application of such roles, along with an act of faith in Christ, is in fact a game changer. So all in all, within this first takeaway, let's not just throw out the scriptures, but instead prompt men to become men of the word in which they produce the fruit of the Spirit and lead their wives and family in a selfless, Christ-centered way. All right, the second major takeaway. Uh, For me, it is the necessity of fathers being present in the home. The makeup of how society views masculinity did not just happen overnight. There have been major changes within our civilization that have snowballed into what we have today. This, in some ways, would be similar to the issue of homosexuality. Homosexuality did not just all of a sudden happen out of the blue. No, instead, there were many cultural decisions made throughout the centuries that eventually led to homosexuality being widely accepted today. Now, I'm not going to fully expound upon the historical breakdown that Piercy presents. Most of her book focuses on this historical documentation. But I will make one note that I find to be one of the big factors as to the major shift in society, and Piercy would oftentimes point back to this moment. And that moment being the shift within the Industrial Revolution. Before this industrial boom, families were usually in close proximity to one another. This changed, though, as the Industrial Revolution led to fathers being absent from the home as they found work outside the home in factories and business offices. Piercy says, and I quote, This apparently simple change in the physical location of work had enormous social ramifications. The absence of the husband-slash-father broke up the little commonwealth of the household. Family industries collapsed, and the integration of life and labor was lost. End quote. For the first time in society, men were no longer actively present in their homes. They were no longer rubbing shoulders with their children on a daily basis. As time progressed, then, fathers became more disengaged with family, influenced away from religion to secularism, and started to focus more on competency rather than character. So much then snowballs from fathers being away from the home, in which women were then put on a pedestal as being morally superior, children being raised without fathers, and then when you have the rising of Darwinism as a source of showing dominance over the weaker, the feminization of the church to the depiction of fathers as fools in media. All of this really has led to where we are today, and as Piercy claims, much of this started with that shift from the father being out of the home. All right, so what really is the point of this? Well, I I think Piercy brings good application with her detailed analysis of history in which one answer to helping with things is for fathers to be more present at home. Men need to be more active within the home as they should seek to lead their families. This does not mean that we need to go back to the times before the industrial boom. This is both not possible or practical. But in our increasingly industrial world, it would seem that men need to have a greater commitment to being home. Men should not see family as a burden or hindrance to success, but see it as a blessing and duty to be present in cultivating their wives and children. You know, let me just give you a practical example of this. I can remember disc golfing one Saturday morning, about 7.30 in the morning, with a bunch of high school students. But there was a tournament happening that day, and a numerous amount of players were practicing before. One player in particular, an older gentleman, started asking if we were going to be playing in the tournament. And we said no, we were just playing a quick round in the morning. As we're making small talk, he mentioned that he was skipping his son's birthday to play in this tournament, which would last probably all day. After he left, I then turned to the high school students and said, never do that. Never skip your son's birthday for a disc golf tournament. 
Now, again, it's not wrong to play in a tournament, but the fact that he was playing on his son's birthday, that is not okay. His son, I'm sure, will probably remember that his dad chose to play disc golf rather than be there for his birthday. Now, in some capacity, men do need to become more present, involved, engaged in their families at home. Right? We must take up the mantle of leadership within the household. And this, honestly, is a challenge for me, as I know for other guys listening, because it can be so easy for us to be enamored in our work. However, it is well worth it, and we need to hopefully generate a society that values the role and presence of men in the home. So these are the two big takeaways from the book that I wanted to make note of. And as you probably noticed, right, these takeaways and much of this book is not solely confronting society to stop looking at men with such evil inclinations. Yes, there are elements of that within this writing. However, Piercy is primarily calling for men to become godly, who with the help of the church and society will invest in their families and their wives. Instead of seeing men as incompetent and useless, society needs to see how vital their role is and really cheer them on to be the best husbands, fathers, men that they can possibly be rather than beat them down. And instead of seeing biblical masculinity and the marital roles found within scripture as the problem, they need to start to see it as a key part of the solution going forward. So those are two of my big takeaways from the toxic war on masculinity. I really only scratched the surface of this book. There's so much more that could have been said, but I'll let you buy a copy for yourselves and delve into it. Thank you for tuning into this episode. And remember, finding and reading great books could change your life.